Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the takeout ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Five, four... Three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. Special episode of The Takeout this week. We were in Sedona, Arizona, the McCain Institute's 10th annual Sedona Forum on May 5th and interviewed Arizona's Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobbs, the governor, won one of the most closely watched gubernatorial elections in the 2022 midterm cycle. We had a long conversation with her about national and Arizona issues. The audience at the McCain Institute Sedona Forum made up of foreign policy experts, military experts, members of Congress, senators and congressmen, and those involved in Arizona politics. Again, this conversation starts nationally, eventually gets down to Arizona issues. We're starting with a conversation with the governor about immigration and the economy. Flying in from Washington, uh, I can tell you there is a rather large freakout factor about the scheduled end of Title 42 next week. And I want to read to you, as we start this conversation on immigration, an excerpt from a memo the Biden White House sent around today. It reads as follows. I direct it, I direct, it's a direct quote. The Biden administration has a comprehensive, multi-agency, multi-country plan to manage the border. True, not true. <laughs> well... I can tell you here in Arizona, we are very focused on uh, the fallout from the ending of Title 42. And um, 
I think, to be honest, we've been working on our own plan because there's a lot of frustration across the board that Washington isn't doing enough and taking this seriously enough. Um, the impact it's going to have on these small border communities in a state like Arizona. So we're making sure that we're coordinating with our um, emergency management folks, our um, Department of Homeland Security folks in Arizona to provide the support that these communities need through with their NGOs providing humanitarian relief and, um, and uh, in uh, law enforcement support as well. What are your biggest anxieties looking toward next week and operationally? What is your tempo day to day? preparing for them? Uh, we are on the phone daily coordinating with law enforcement, with these emergency management agencies uh, to make sure that um, we have the pieces in place that we need. And our biggest concern really is the influx of folks and, and not having the capacity to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Right now, it feels like the increase in the number of crossings is predominantly in Texas. Mm -hmm. The 1,500 military troops that are being sent for administrative purposes, backup, they're not going to be in frontline positions, primarily going to Texas. But I don't need to tell you as a border state governor, whenever there is efforts directed one yeah. place, the flow moves elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So obviously you have a heightened anxiety about things moving to Arizona. Yeah, absolutely we do. And an example, um, uh, uh, the federal government has the, the CBP-1 app. The only port of entry you can use that at in Arizona is, no, is Nogales. And so there's all these other places people can enter, but they can only use the app, which is supposed to streamline and, and make things more orderly at this one port of entry. So it's, it's a challenge. Um, I am confident in our, in our preparedness to meet this challenge, uh, but we're doing this largely without support from the federal government. Should Title 42 be lifted? Well, I mean, it's not an immigration policy. It's no, a it's health care policy. policy. Yeah, and with the lifting of the public health emergency, um, I, I think it's it makes sense that it goes away. I wish there had been more planning and preparation for it to go away. Have you talked to the president about this directly? Yeah, yes. How recently? Um, in the last few weeks. How about yeah. the vice president? Uh, I have not spoken with the vice, vice president. Would you like to be engaging with them more? Would you like them to be more curious about what you're seeing and what you're having to deal with? Um, well, the, we knew this was a priority day one, and we started engaging with the White House on day one of my administration. We got the Secretary of Homeland Security to come out to Arizona to see firsthand um, what our agencies were, were worried about dealing with. Um, and so I think we've got that. We've We've given them the message, and um, we would like them to act more urgently on the message. Can you define what acting more urgently would look like to you? Um, really uh, providing the resources that we need. Um, there is additional emergency shelter dollars. We don't know when those are going to be deployed. They're not going to, folks are going to have to provide the services and get reimbursed. That's a problem. Um, so, uh, and we've been, sounding the alarm about Title 42 being lifted for months, not just since I took office. Do you have any opinion on Senator Sinema's legislation just introduced yesterday to extend it for two years? Uh, I, I wasn't aware of her, of her uh, legislation. Um, I know she's doing a lot to help make sure that we have the things in place that we need, and I appreciate her support on this. Um, so I, I think that I think the federal government is unprepared for the lifting of this policy. Unprepared. Okay. Let me move on to the economy. There are conversations in New York, Washington, around the country about headwinds, and there is anxiety about regional banks, whether it's justified or unjustified. Do you have any concern as a 
governor in the West, of regional bank solvency in Arizona or generally in the greater Western part of the United States? Um, I recently held a roundtable with um, bank industry leaders in Arizona. Um, they're concerned. Um, we're talking with them about what we can do to make sure um, that there's solvency and we're continuing to work with them. Would you say that you are more concerned than you were two or three months ago on this particular topic? No, I'm actually less concerned. Because? I just, I think they're in better shape than, um, uh, than um, there was a, a rush on, uh, on one bank and, and that kind of passed and I think they're, um, they're not feeling as anxious as folks are in other places. Interesting. Um, what would you say is your general feeling about the likelihood or lack of likelihood of a recession, quarter three, quarter four, as President Biden heads into his full-blown re-election campaign? Um, I think that uh, the economists are more optimistic than folks on the ground. That's what I'm hearing. Okay, and does that translate to your optimism, net-net? No, I think the folks on the ground are less optimistic than the economists, and uh, so... That um, tells you what? That, that a recession is more likely than the economists are projecting. Got it. Okay. And what has been your experience and what are your priorities here in Arizona with semiconductors, the CHIPS Act, and as the Biden administration works through a rather extensive and some have said onerous regulatory regime to qualify? What's your experience? What are your asks? Well, in Arizona, we are um, benefiting greatly from the CHIPS Act. We have right now the largest uh, CHIPS Act investment in the country with TSMC. Um, and uh, that is bringing with it um, an, an entire ecosystem of the supply chain um, needed to, to manufacture chips in Arizona. So, um, so, and we're working to build that by building workforce uh, and, um, and continuing to work to bring these companies to Arizona so that the supply chain for chips manufacturing is there. Um, I know there's some regulatory burden um, that folks are trying to work through. We're doing what we can with our Commerce Authority to help with that. Um, but um, but the, 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 um, the, the CHIPS Act has been a boon for Arizona and I think will continue to be. What will things look differently in three years? How will they look differently because of that and because of this reset? Um, so, so, um, so TSMC is, uh, is still under construction. They haven't opened yet. We also have Intel, which is building a new fab. Um, and so the, the amount of jobs available, um, high tech, good paying jobs that don't need a college degree is, is exploding. And that is great for Arizonans. Um, we have to get our housing, uh, workforce housing, to catch up with that. Um, and we are working to get um, the workforce pipeline uh, up to up to par of what we need to 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 get folks into these jobs and to continue to um, to build this ecosystem. How excited are you about a Biden re-election campaign? <laughs> Um, as the newly elected governor of Arizona, I'm very focused on um, on Arizona, and um, and that's I haven't uh, weighed in on the presidential election yet. Uh, I think that um, that things like the Chips Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which uh, President Biden ushered into law, um, are great for Arizona, and I'm excited about the kinds of things that he's delivering on to help build um, the middle class and grow the economy in our state. When we come back for segment two, more of our conversation with Arizona's Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs. 
cooperation with the McCain Institute's 10th Annual Sedona Forum. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. Welcome back. Continuing our conversation with Arizona's Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs. Topics in this segment, President Biden's re-election campaign, Kerry Lake, the Republican that Governor Hobbs defeated in 2022, and a big issue in Arizona, tamales. So you just went through the election. Would you say that President Biden's prospects in Arizona are better than they were in 2020 or worse? Well, I, um, as someone who uh, ran against a candidate who was largely focused on um, the false allegations about the 2020 election. I can tell you that Arizonans are tired of that rhetoric. And right now it seems like um, some of the candidates on the other side, that's what they're continuing to run on. And so I think it really depends on who the Republican nominee is in terms of what the prospects are for uh, the president's reelection in, in Arizona. Do you have a general assessment on the Republican field as it is currently constructed? Um, I have seen polling on Trump and DeSantis, and Trump looks far ahead in Arizona. So that's... That's where things are. Yeah. Currently. Let me ask you about Carrie Lake, as you mentioned her obliquely there. <laughs> Two things about Carrie Lake I'd like to ask you about. First of all, This headline might have been one that your staff put in front of you late yesterday afternoon. Her attorneys were fined $2,000 for submitting incorrect submissions to the court in challenging your election victory. I also read recently that she is not in favor of a recall effort against you. Would you evaluate those two things? Uh, you can take them separately, one at a time. <laughs> um, I mean, as someone who has uh, personally, not personally, but had to pay a lot of legal um, fees for her continued election challenges um, that are still ongoing in the court, um, I'm, 
I applaud the courts for issuing sanctions. They should be a lot more than $2,000. Because I can tell you she's raised a lot more than $2,000 off her legal challenge. Talk to me about that incentive yeah. structure because it's one of the things I worry about in this space, that the, the downside risks are so low and the upside gains are so demonstrably high in terms of social media mm -hmm. awareness, fundraising, and visibility. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's, I think, right now what you're seeing from her operation is a fundraising operation, um, whether that's teasing that she's going to run for Senate, teasing that she's going to run for whatever she's going to do, um, and she just keeps raising money off of it. There was an allegation, and this is what the attorneys were fined over, an assertion that 36,000 ballots were fed into the system. No evidence of that. That's what they were sanctioned for. However, the signature verification part of the challenge remains unresolved. Mm -hmm. Do you have any doubt at all about what will play out in that place or anything that Arizona needs to do to clarify or improve that process? Um, we have been doing vote by mail successfully, securely for decades in Arizona and our processes are sound. Um, and I don't think there is question about the signature verification process that's utilized. And um, this is something that folks like Carrie Lake and others continue to hound on, um, again, with no evidence uh, to say that the process is flawed. It is not. And um, the, 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 the claim that's still active, um, I believe, was reverted back to the trial mm -hmm. court for yeah. the, on the basis of the ruling, not the actual substance of the claim. And you have no doubt in your mind that that will be resolved favorably in your direction? It, yes. You don't? Okay. No, I, have, I don't have any doubts. Understood. <laughs> it is not a valid claim. It's not a valid yes. claim. Okay. Can we talk about tamales? Sure. Good. I'm glad you said yes. You know where I'm going. Bill passed. You vetoed it. Uh, your allies upheld the veto. Where do things stand? How prepared are you to compromise to find a resolution? We are absolutely ready to engage. In fact, we already have been engaging our Department of Health that had the main concerns about the bill, which the sponsor was not willing to listen to. I'm hopeful that we can come to some compromise and get something through this session that will, um, we, we, our focus is um, balancing the ability for these small businesses to grow and the public health and safety of Arizona. If you could state in uh, as clearest form as you can what your public health concerns are about this particular long-standing kind of, as I've read about it, deeply embedded small business, mm -hmm. micro-business part of Arizona's economy. Um, what are you concerned about? What are you afraid of? Well, I I think it's really just the the um, level of um, the ability to not I don't want to say regulate, but ensure that um, these foods that um, have more risk um, are being prepared in places that that risk is minimized. Mm -hmm. What does that look like when you talk about compromise and engaging? What are your priorities? Uh, well, our Department of Health was concerned about the um, the the licensing or not the licensing structure, but the structure for registration of these businesses and having no ability to. So, 
which would maybe provide some assurance to the public that there was some safety, the minimum safety standards, and there really wasn't, and that was the concern. So that's what we're trying to work through right now. So minimum safety standards, if you can resolve that, you think this can get pushed through mm -hmm. this legislative session? I'm hopeful. I think there's um, vehicle bills that can be utilized to, to make this happen. Would you just define that as one of your top goals? Um, abso absolutely. I, um, I think it's unfortunate that um, that our concerns weren't addressed earlier in the process um, and we're working to bring the stakeholders together to, to make sure this happens this session. It's kind of evaluating why things didn't get resolved on the front end. Do you think that was a political test of your new governorship? Do you think that was a lack of engagement on your part? Have you reassessed anything about why this sort of got off the tracks? I mean, we've certainly um, looked at where we um, could have done better and adjusted our process in terms of engaging on legislation. Okay. The New York Times said that uh, tamales, and I'm quoting here, hold a special Proustian place in Arizona's culinary soul. Is that true? Uh, absolutely, and I'll tell you, um, I don't think I don't I think anyone in Arizona has been arrested for selling tamales. So we're gonna we're we're not going after tamale vendors. There'll be no rests of tamale vendors. No. Very good. So since we're on the topic, I think these are really important questions for you personally. Yeah. In the mansion or at home, lard or no lard. We have no mansion in Arizona. Okay, lard or no lard in the preparation. Oh, absolutely, lard. Okay, sweet, elote, corn, or masa? Masa. Okay, banana leaves or corn husk? Corn husk. Okay, okay. just checking, folks, just checking. Due diligence, that's all this is about. I am, I'm a native Arizonan. Exactly, exactly. Let me talk to you about something that I imagine from uh, your office you can see. Homeless encampments in downtown Phoenix. As I read the data, 13,500 people experiencing homelessness in Arizona. That's the eighth largest total in the United States, 2% of the national total. 29% roughly are in shelters. What are you doing and how concerned are you about the rise in those experiencing homelessness since the pandemic and continuously? Well, we've seen an exponential increase in unhoused individuals in Arizona over the last several years. Um, the pandemic certainly exacerbated that and particularly in populations that didn't previously experience homelessness, um, older individuals on fixed incomes who are being priced out of their out of their rents. Um, so it's a huge issue and not one that the state has engaged very vigorously on uh, prior to my administration. It, it, as a social worker, it's a top priority for me. Um, and it's largely a problem that's concentrated in Phoenix right now. I just got off the phone with the mayor before I came here talking about ways that we can um, repurpose um, potentially empty state buildings or land um, to, because the city right now is under a court order to vacate these encampments mm -hmm. um, that are around um, downtown. And so, um, and you know, you brought up Title 42 and one of my biggest concerns is that we're looking for these facilities to use for all kinds of purposes and it's all kind of converging at the same time. And so, um, so it's a problem, one that we're taking seriously. You'll see significant investment in homeless resources in uh, the budget. I'm knocking on wood, we're close on that. Um, and so, um, but, but yeah, it, um, I mean, homelessness is a housing problem and we don't have enough housing 
um, we need to build more and there's some regulatory reform that can happen as well that I think is moving through the legislature right now too. When we come back, more of our conversation with Arizona's Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs with a particular focus on homelessness. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to The Takeout. Most governors of either party, Republican or Democrat, in the western part of our nation are coping with a tremendous surge in homelessness. People who are living without homes and moving or being relocated in the west on their own volition because the weather there is more accommodating to living outside. It's a huge issue in Arizona. It's a huge issue in neighboring California and basically throughout the West. And Katie Hobbs, the Democratic governor there, is America's first governor who has an education background in social work. We discuss that and much more in this segment. You might be the only or certainly one of the very few governors who have a academic background in social work, bachelor and master's. The very first social worker elected governor in the country. There you go. I thought I might have been on the track there. That's theoretical study. You're now dealing with this at a very practical level. There are limitations of what states can do. There are municipal ordinances. There are county rules and regulations. Just as a, not only as a thought experiment, but as a governing experiment, what are you learning that was different than the theory you studied and how is that working through your approach to this issue? Um, well, I would argue that social work is much more practical than theoretical okay. in study. Um, and it's largely about solving problems, whether that's with individuals, families, communities, um, or as a policymaker. Um, it's largely what drove me to run for office because I saw a way to um, bring people together at a bigger table to solve these problems in a more systemic way than working with individuals. And um, and, and that's really the core of what social work is, is solving problems. And, and in the governor's office, I have a great big table to do that. And, um, and so it, it, it's, it's really gonna require all the stakeholders coming together, housing providers, municipalities, counties, and um, really um, figuring out what we can do together in a way that hasn't been done before. Will it require more persistent state involvement? I'm thinking of Governor Gavin Newsom, who put through the legislature in California an enormous amount for homeless mm -hmm. aid. But he required of municipalities specific plans. And when the mayor submitted their first draft, he rejected every single one of them, meaning the governor is now going to be deeply involved in your business, in your city, how you deal with it. Do you consider that a model, an inspiration, or something you want to be a little bit maybe less aggressive about? 
I think Governor Newsom has done great things around homelessness, um, and certainly um, there's some pages we can take out of his playbook. I think that um, I have a track record of working cooperatively with cities um, during my time in the legislature, and so there's a balance there. Um, and you know, a lot of cities don't necessarily feel like they need to do a lot because all the folks are moving to Phoenix, and so um, so it's it's really. Um, finding that balance of cooperation and where um, where we can use our resources to just find the best ways to solve this problem. And is one of the best ways to solve the problem to increase the population in shelters above that 29% threshold that it currently is at? Uh, I mean, I, our shelters are at capacity. Right. Um, emer- emergency shelter is not the answer to okay. homelessness. Interesting. All right. Um, Back to politics for just one second, because on the campaign trail in the Republican field, Nikki Haley has said not once, not twice, many times, a vote for President Biden in 2024 is a vote for President Harris. Do you believe that? No. Please continue. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, I don't know where she's coming from with that, but, um, but Biden and Harris are and administration and um, right now they're delivering for the people of America and so um, I, I you know I, I think Biden's the president um, and um, I I really don't know where 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 Haley's going with that so not sure how to answer <laughs> but I think one of the implications yeah. is he's not going to survive his second term oh I mean he's probably more robust than I am in terms of his, uh, his stamina. <laughs> so I'm going to call the president and let him know yeah, you said I mean, that. He'll be really happy to hear you say that. I don't that. know. Did you see him at the correspondence dinner? He was pretty funny. I was near the front row, so All yes, right, I did yes, see, yeah. him, see him there. Um, on to technology. I have some, some questions about technology for you. What is your attitude in Arizona? about the utility of and the future use of TikTok? Uh, well, we ha- I've issued an executive order um, banning TikTok from government devices right. um, because of the security concerns. But everyone knows in the tech sector and in politics, everyone who talks about this in Washington, that is, and it's almost unfair to even call it a Band-Aid because it really doesn't address the issue. Uh, yes, state devices, but everyone who works for you, with all due respect, Governor, has a, pri- a separate device. They very well may use it. So what is your larger big picture concern about TikTok? Do you want it banned federally? Do you think we should eliminate it in this country? What do you want to tell the some number of, I don't know, there's 150 million users in America. There's some number of them here in Arizona. Why they shouldn't be using it? Um, I mean, I don't. I, that's a hypothetical to me in terms of a federal ban. I don't know what's but being... There's legislative yeah. efforts to do that. Yeah, okay. I mean, so that's um, that, that's up to Congress if that happens and the president, if he signs a bill that comes to him. But um, I can tell you that we're acting our, on our concerns in Arizona. Um, the University of Arizona, or a, I'm sorry, ASU has banned it as well. Um, I'm sure we'll see other government inter- entities following that. Artificial intelligence, are you all in or deeply skeptical slash wary? Is there a middle, middle, middle? <laughs> Fill in the middle. Yeah. Define it for me. 
What, what is your middle ground? Or what is your sense of artificial intelligence? There's a tremendous amount of money running toward it. Many states want to get involved in that process, want to invite people in. But there are not only internal, meaning people who have worked on this technology, concerns about what it's going to do, what it might create, the things that might be uncontrollable about artificial intelligence. What, and I know we're all early in this, but yeah. what do you, what do you, what's your sense of it? Well, I mean, that's the, the thing where it's early and there are all these concerns. We don't know what we don't know. And um, and I think we have to take it in stride and not just, you know, fully embrace it without considering all of the implications that it brings. Is there anything in particular that worries you about artificial intelligence? Um, I mean, there's lots of sci-fi movies that could actually come true. So, <laughs> Well, and back to where we were introduced in the conversation before that, Deep fakes, disinformation, yeah. misinformation, yeah. artificial intelligence, as I've read, can both be an accelerator and a means of either rapidly debunking or alternately proving it's false instantly. Yeah. Do you think it's a net positive or a net negative in that space? Uh, I think a negative in that space. You do. Sure. Okay. Have you used chat GPT no. for any drafts of any of your speeches? No. Will you? No. <laughs> Okay. The reason I ask is I was up in Denver recently and I talked to a colleague of yours, Jared Polis, fellow mm -hmm. governor. He said, yeah, I've used it two or three times. It's not, it's not a bad start. He's a tech guy. He's kind of into it. He wasn't uh, nervous about it and he didn't think it was uh, evidence of him not working hard or doing something. He was sort of inclined to try it on the first draft and then refine it. He said, it really wasn't my voice, but it got a lot of the basics down. Um, but you're not going to do that. I have not considered that, no. Okay. Very good, very good. Um, you mentioned the infrastructure bill, now a law. What have you seen in Arizona? What can you point to? And do you think you should be willing, you should be able to, would you tell the administration, I should be able to point to things faster? Um, well, we are seeing tremendous growth in infrastructure. Um, the, uh, the infrastructure law is going to help with that tremendously. Um, and um, Senator Sinema was just here. She was a huge part of getting that across the finish line. She's working every day to make sure that that law is delivering for Arizonans. Um, we have major transportation infrastructure that we're focused on right now that that law is going to help um, ensure it gets done. Broadband um, connecting Arizonans across the state at 100% is a goal of my administration. It's going to help with that. Um, so, uh, do I wish things were faster? Yes. Government always comes with bureaucracy. Things take time. We're going to do everything we can to make it happen as fast as possible. As is pretty clear, Governor Hobbs is not so certain about all of the new technology, artificial intelligence, a little bit more certain on TikTok and quite a bit alarmed by chat GPT and things like that. And she's not the only political figure feeling that way. When we come back, more of our conversation with Governor Hobbs from Arizona. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app. Or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. 
Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. As I mentioned off the top of this show, there would be a lot of national discussion and broader issues, but also some things that are very specific to Arizona. That's what we're going to dig in here with Governor Hobbs. Democratic governor of Arizona. Had a hard time filling her cabinet. She's got a Republican legislature that is definitely blocking her. And there's a huge issue about Arizona's future budget. All that coming up in this segment. Something that's very much a part of your effort to, and help me out on this, because I've talked to some friends and they said there's this new committee in the legislature that's sort of gumming up or slowing down the confirmation process for nominees to your cabinet. How big a problem is that? What are you doing to resolve it? And how frustrating or difficult has this been for you as governor? Um, l- let me just say, this is an unprecedented level of government obstruction. Um, and people have told us as much that this is the intent. Um, there, the, the sen- a lot of my to nominees- stop you in your tracks, yeah, in other words. Yeah, um, nominees that require Senate confirmation are less likely to take really bold action that furthers my agenda um, if they think it might hamper their confirmation. And it's a problem. Nominees can serve for up to a year without confirmation. Um, the, as soon as we get a budget done, the legislature is going to adjourn. And they've confirmed three state agency directors. We have like 36 more to go. Uh, this is a problem. How do you resolve it? Well, um, we are um, working with our, our nominees are, are um, moving forward and, and meeting with legisl- senators, ga- garnering support. We're prepping them for the really contentious hearings that are also unprecedented. Um, and, and, and we're figuring out our options if they serve their year without confirmation. Uh, and, um, you know, we have options. I don't necessarily want to lay them all out, uh, but, um, but we're, um, we're going to be able to move forward with or without confirmation. How does this affect your overall relationship with the legislature? <laughs> and you talked about the budget. That's got to get done. Mm-hmm. It's an imperative. Where do things stand? Um, you know, I would say that... Um, During my time in the legislature as Secretary of State, now as governor, I've been pretty successful at being able to focus on uh, one thing at a time um, while dealing with multiple things. Um, I've always been able to put partisan politics aside and, and get something done when it has to get done. We are having incredibly productive meetings with the Senate President, with the Speaker of the House, and I am, we are very close to a budget deal. Um, and that being said, those two folks are some of my biggest critics in the public. Um, their members are some of my, their members got up and walked out of my state of the state address. That has never happened. Nobody is reprimanded for doing that. Um, but you put the, the, the crap aside and do what you have to do. And we're working on a budget. I think there's other places we can do that. And I'm going to continue to try to do that. The overall relationship might not be great, but we're getting things done. And I think that lays the groundwork for moving forward on other things. I want to ask you uh, about election denialism, because Arizona is, if not the epicenter of this particular phenomenon in our country, very close to the epicenter. 
The day after the Super Bowl, I flew here and participated in an event uh, sponsored by the Cronkite School at Arizona State University in collaboration with uh, University of Southern California Annenberg School of Journalism. And we had 17 Arizonans, most of them from Maricopa County, who participated in a live focus group. You can watch it on YouTube. All of them denied the results of the 2020 election and the 2022 election. They were all convinced that Kerry Lake won that election. Absolutely convinced. We spent two hours in a focus group that was conducted by Frank Luntz. I was one of the experts. You can take that for what it's worth. David Becker, my co-author, was there. been in election law space for 25 years. Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, was there. And Bill Gates, no, not that one, the other one you're all aware of, was there. We spent two hours going round and round on this. Again, you can watch it on YouTube. We didn't change a single mind in two hours. What does that tell you, and what do you feel your obligations as governor are in this space? Mm-hmm. Um, to a person, they told us they love America, they love Arizona, they're not hostile, they're not violent, but they don't believe it. Yeah. Is there anything more you can do, anything more that local election officials should do, or do you just have to wait this out? Um, so it's not just about my election and believing if I won or Carrie Lake won or Donald Trump won or Joe Biden won, but Arizona has been ground zero for this election denial movement since the 2020 election. And um, what I can say is that while these folks might be the majority of the registered Republican voters, they are not the majority of Arizonans. And I was elected by a coalition of Democrats, independents, and Republicans who want people to focus on the problems and get to work solving them. And that's what we're doing. And I've answered this question for the last two and a half years about how do you how do you how do you change their minds? I don't know that we can. As long as the people they look to as leaders continue to purposefully mislead them and feed them these lies um, for their own personal and political gain, um, they're going to believe that. Um, I can't. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep telling the truth. I'm gonna do what I can to do that. Um, but I can't make them believe me if they're bought into all these lies about how I stole the election from Donald Trump and Carrie Lake and as the Secretary of State. Um, but, I, but that's not going to stop me from doing what I was elected to do and getting to work with people across the political aisle and, and solve problems. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that two hours gave me a very profound sense that this is much harder than I thought it was, mm-hmm. that it is very deeply ingrained um, And at one point in the conversation, uh, one of the focus group participants said he voted for and was very happy with Andy Biggs. So the question then arose, do you believe he was elected legitimately? The gentleman paused and he said, I'm not sure. Okay, somebody he admires, somebody he respects, someone he thinks is a good advocate for his point of view. And when when push came to shove, he's like, well, I'm not even sure about that. That's, that is, it felt to me in the moment and subsequently like a complete pulling away, not just from a specific mm-hmm. election, but from the general process itself. I found that worrisome. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I think that when you, when you phrase it like that to people and they actually have to think about it, um, maybe that's kind of what it takes. But I mean, because we were trying to get into yeah, that, like, is, it, yeah. is, it, is that election okay, yeah. and the other ones aren't? Yeah. But he's like, no, I'm not sure anymore about anything. Yeah, and if there is this big conspiracy to, um, you know, rig all these elections, why did the biggest election deniers get elected? Like, 
Wendy Rogers in our state Senate, who now heads up the Senate Elections Committee. I mean, um, she, from day one that she got into the legislature, she was claiming the 2020 election was illegitimate, and yet she was elected in that same election. It just, it makes no sense. There's no, you, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> For more of our conversation with Arizona's Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs, please stay tuned to the Takeout Outtake Especial. We did all this in collaboration with the McCain Institute at the 10th Annual Sedona Forum. In the Especial, you'll hear Governor Hobbs talk about critical race theory, education vouchers, abortion, and the big issue out west, the future of water rights. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. Just to reset things, this is our conversation with Arizona's Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs, elected in the midterm elections 2022. The issues we're going to dig into here, all the real simple ones. Water and the availability of it out west, it's a huge issue. For Arizona, Colorado, Utah, California, New Mexico intense negotiations on that topic, and the governor is right in the middle of all of them. Also, critical race theory, educational vouchers, and abortion policy, all coming up in our conversation, conducted in cooperation with the Quinquade Institute at the 10th Annual Sedona Forum, Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs of Arizona. I want to shift our attention a little bit to a persistent issue in a place like Arizona, as it is in my home state of California, but one that always seems to get dropped off, and I'm not going to drop it off, the future of water and yep. water rights. It's, 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 it's fundamental to everything in the West. First of all, kind of the meta question, how helpful has the incredibly rainy winter been? Uh, what are you hearing? What is, the, what is the water department telling you about the general immediate situation? That I've got some very specific questions after that. Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're in a crisis. There's no denying that we're in a crisis with our water. Um, and it is not a new crisis. It's certainly one that not enough attention has been paid to. I think we've really kicked the can down the road and we're, we're not gonna do that anymore. We're having to face some really hard truths. Um, as part of my State of the State address, I released a previously unreleased report that shows how portions of the West Valley have been over allocated um, by 15%. And so, um, you know, that that has implications for projects that have been being have gotten assured water supply certificates. But I talked to the leaders in those communities before we released the report and they said this gives us what we need to, to know what we're facing. Um, it's that's not going to be the last report like that that comes out. 
um, we're dealing with shortages in the Colorado River, um, and we've had to really push to be at the come to the table with the other um, lower basin states. Um, I feel like those talks are going really well. Um, and has the rainy winter given a reprieve on yeah, that at all? I, I wouldn't say reprieve. Um, it's been good for us, um, but what it's going to do and and the issues of water, drought, climate change, these are all intertwined. Um, it's creating more fuel that or more it's re- creating more vegetation that's going to turn into fuel. And so when we have a hotter, drier summer, it's going to turn into more wildfires and more problems that way. So it's but but right now, not the Colorado River system, but the Verde River system is over capacity. That's really good for us. Um, my fear is that it creates a perception that, oh, we had a lot of water droughts over. It is not over. And, and we're going to continue in this kind of cycle. 36% comes from the Colorado River mm-hmm. for Arizona, if I have my numbers correctly. Most of your consumption in the state, 75, 80% agriculture, mm-hmm. a $23 billion industry in Arizona. Yep. What's the future of cotton and alfalfa growing in Arizona? Well, I think we need to have some difficult conversations about what kind of crops we should be growing in a desert um, and water intensive crops like cotton and alfalfa might not be the right answer. Um, but we are also working with um, the agriculture industry on um, on innovative ways to irrigate, um, conserve water. Um, the Yuma folks have been real leaders on that um, and can, can really create um, a, a roadmap for the rest of the farmers in the state. Um, so n- none of I mean, it's we've kicked the can down the road because these are hard conversations and nobody wants to have them, but we have to have them. What makes them so hard? Because if you're a farmer that grows alfalfa, do you want to be told you can't keep growing that? Mm-hmm. No. So. And is there a historical Native American dimension to the cotton growing? I read in a couple of articles that said cotton growing in Arizona is a very long established and 60% of people who grow cotton in Arizona, Native Americans. Is that true? Uh that is not something I knew before. Okay, might be true. I didn't know if that came up in the conversations, if that made them hard, if there was a sort of legacy dimension to this that makes the conversations even more difficult. Um, no, I mean, I think that, that our Native American communities are some of the most adaptable um, anywhere, and um, I think they could shift their agriculture if they needed to. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the hard conversations. They go down from your office statewide, but they also go up to the federal government. Mm -hmm. How are they going? Um, I mean, I think really well. Um, You probably exempt Governor Newsom from that praise in that moment. You know, here's the thing is that um, we got him to the table and um, those conversations are going better than they were before. And so I'm optimistic. That what will happen? Uh, well, that um, that we will um, have a unified front when it comes to the tier two restrictions from um, Bureau of Reclamation and that um, there'll be agreement on how those cuts are shared rather than falling all on Arizona like they did last time. In a post-Dobbs America, how do you look at the issue of abortion in Arizona and nationally? What do you think this country needs? What will Arizona have? Well, um, I, I think it's... Um, really unfortunate that we did not um, provide protection outside of the Supreme Court decision before now, um, because now we're without protection in a lot of states. There should be federal protection for abortion. Um, I don't want to say codify Roe because that there's other things that need to happen, but 
Um, in Arizona, we're under a 15-week ban uh, with the threat of um, a, a, a full ban that's still in courts. And so what I'd like to see for Arizona is a repeal of that full um, territorial era ban and then um, movement towards a less restrictive ban than 15 weeks, which um, just in so many circumstances doesn't pro ha allow um, pregnant people the health care that they need. Um, quite honestly, um, abortion is a conversation between a woman and her doctor. Uh, and there are times where there's not any restriction that is going to fit the, the specific situation that someone's in that many of us will never know the, the circumstances or understand the circumstances um, of, of, a, of someone having to make that decision about a late-term termination. Uh, and um, certainly a 15-week ban doesn't allow for that kind of situation. So um, I will say that folks in Arizona are energized about this issue. Um, uh, it, it motivated people to vote. We had um, a lot of turnout that was based on the Dobbs decision and the potential restrictions were under, in Ari not the potential, the real restrictions were under in Arizona. As a governor, how did you evaluate that three or four week period where the, a federal court in West Texas in Amarillo issued an order about mifepristone, a Washington court issued an order, the Fifth Circuit jumped in, the Supreme Court, that created a tremendous volatility and tremendous unease. How did you look and see all that? What, what, what do you hope as a governor emerges from that? Well, I think beyond the, the specifics of mifeprestone and its um, legality and, and the court being able to override science and the FDA, that's and an a, FDA approval process, yeah, not just I mean, for that, but for so many yeah, other. Yeah, I mean, that is, um, that is uh, setting a precedent I don't think we want. I don't think we want courts to be able to overrule the FDA on things they don't have any idea about, um, because then Did we'll start- Did that send a shiver through your spine? Yeah, I mean, we'll start seeing, uh, you know, emergency use authorization vaccines in a pandemic that the courts can say, oh no, we can't, the FDA approval isn't valid. And that's, it, 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 we don't need to go there. So, um, and, you know, in terms of mifepristone, it's still legal in Arizona, so. Mm. Lastly, on education, there is a drive in many uh, trifecta Republican states, meaning Republican governors and Republican legislatures, to eliminate or to very much restrict any conversations about gender-affirming mm -hmm. language or, in some cases, language about homosexuality or anything like that and to crack down, that's the terminology on CRT. Mm -hmm. Evaluate. Well, I've already had the opportunity to veto a bill that bans uh, CRT, which is not something we even do in Arizona. Um, but I can tell you in my conversations on the campaign trail and now as governor, the issues that folks are concerned about when they look at their kids' education, it is not these kinds of things, it is having qualified teachers in their kids' classroom, having access to high-quality public education because we are draining resources with our universal voucher expansion in Arizona. Um, those are the concerns that they have and the problems I believe they sent me to um, the governor's office to solve, not you know, policing what teachers say in classrooms. Vouchers are not a way to improve public education. No. <laughs> they are draining resources. Many... Um, 
uh, budget analysts have looked at our program and say, said it's going to bankrupt, bankrupt the state. And we had a, an alt fuels program that was passed in the early um, 2000s, and it was quickly repealed because it was going to bankrupt the state. And folks are calling this alt fuels 2.0. We're here in Sedona, a uh, place favored very much by Senator McCain. I knew Senator McCain very well. Didn't cover his campaigns, but I covered him a lot on uh, Capitol Hill. What do you think he would say about the Republican Party as it currently exists in Arizona? Um, I, I, you know, he was censured by the Republican Party here in Arizona, unfortunately. And um, I, I think that he would continue to be the maverick that he was and stand up for um, the right things and not worry about what the party said about him. Um, certainly, I think he would um, not support where the, where the party is today. Last question. I'm going to quote from uh, today's edition of The Economist. On, Mon- on May 6th in London, a man will be given a hat. How psyched up are you about the coronation of King Charles III? Oh. <laughs> I'm glad you said King Charles because I didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> That is, that is how I feel about that. That's how the economist. <laughs> that's how the economist treats a huge story in London. Uh, round of applause for Governor Katie Holmes. <laughs> Governor, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap for your takeout outtake especial. We will see you next week. The takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go... Tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.